Live from New York City, it's The Gary Knoll Show. And now, your host, Gary Knoll. Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. Nice to have you with us today. This is Talk Back. No guest, no commentaries, just the issues that are important to you. You have an opportunity to call in, share your insights, thoughts, questions, challenges, whatever is on your mind. The idea is your idea should be something that you could reasonably find the answer to. But if you can't, then by all means ask. And we'll try to find you some answers that can empower you. This is a very empowering hour. The idea is that by the end of this program, you should have had some issues that you didn't have a complete handle on, really in firm grasp. Normally, we have on, for 30 years, Martin Feldman. Of course, he's passed. We haven't done this show in about five years, and we're starting over and uh, at a different time and a different day. But we have a large audience, and it's a worldwide audience. And during the week, Luann Panessi receives your emails. Luann couldn't be on tonight because... She is just moved, and she got a whole lot of trailer stuff in today to uh, put into her new home. But we have Elizabeth McCormick, and Elizabeth has been helping for many years, and she has gotten the questions that you've asked, and she'll be asking them as well. And we have a number that you can call in. Let me give you that number, 888-874-4888. That's 888-874-4888. And if you'd like to ask a question, by all means, do so. Nice to have you with us, Elizabeth. Hello, Gary. Hi. Uh, Yes, we've received many questions. Um, The first one comes from Janine. So if I start straight away, um, she says, My sister has breast cancer. She had surgery, uh, radiation and chemotherapy. But a year later, it's come back, and she doesn't know what to do. What would be a natural approach, please, though she's not sure that her sister would use it? What, what people don't realize is that about 98% of all people who develop a major disease like cancer only receive orthodox therapy. About 550,000 will die this year. Now, you would think that if that many people died over, let's say, a 20-year period, Just in 10 years, you're dealing with 5 million people. In 20 years, you're dealing with 10 million people. So why isn't, and and then it gets up to right now, over over 30 million people have died using only orthodox therapy. So at what point, what magic number do we begin to look at a different approach, a different understanding of both the cause and the treatments? And then you start realizing how much money is made off chemotherapy, and it's a hundreds of billions of dollar year industry. And you realize we're never going to take a look at anything that's natural, non-toxic. That said, most people who don't succeed the first time around will go right back again. But that time, their immune system is substantially compromised by both the radiation and the chemotherapy. But virtually all of the studies in the world on cancer show that Upwards of 80% or more of present cancers are diet-related. Now, we know from the National Cancer Institute 
that 70% of all breast cancer, and that's what she's referring to, uh, cancer deaths are avoidable. That's 70% through dietary change. I just completed feature filming on a major new film. And one segment of that film, I talked with some oncologists, board-certified oncologists. They were all orthodox until they saw that what they were doing was not working, and they went towards a plant-based diet, and then they started to see results that they thought were completely impossible. Now their patients, and I filmed multiple patients who had terminal cancers, were cured. So that made a believer out of them, but that didn't change the profession. I just want people to know that the actual statistics are out there to show you how long a person has to live when they shift to a really healthy plant-based living food diet. And also there's a lot of good studies coming out of Asia because the Asian women have a much lower rate of breast cancer when they are in their native countries and consuming a pure native diet. But as soon as they move to the United States and they adapt our Western diet, high in meat and fat and sugar and dairy, their breast cancer rates go up 400%. And then you end up with a higher death rate than what they would have had. And every generation is getting worse. Now, break it into pieces to really get a handle on it. First, you have to look at the association between fats and cancer. And we know that fatty foods actually convert normal cells into problematic cells. So consuming a high-fat diet in a high-fat food, particularly unsaturated fats, will increase the free radical production. Free radicals are un... These are unpaired atoms, and they crash into your cell. Just imagine that you're in one of those um, bumper car amusement park rides, and you can bump into all the other cars because you've got a rubber, uh, rubber protective band around the car. Just imagine now you have 200 billion of those per hour in your body, and they're all knocking against cells. Now, sooner or later, you're going to have a gene alteration. In the normal person, the average American has about two, 20, no, right now the newest figure is 10,000 gene alterations per cell per day. That means every one of your 100 trillion cells is being damaged 10,000 times in a day. So the older you get, the less likely you are to be able to repair that damage. And if you're eating the standard diet, you're not going to be able to trap those free radicals. So stopping the free radicals from damaging the cells is the first thing you do. And what would be the easy answer? Get rid of completely hot dogs, hamburgers, french fries, pizzas, dairy, caffeine, artificial sweeteners, soft drinks. And the fats that come from canola oil or corn oil or peanut oil, these are highly processed and those are the dangerous unsaturated fatty acids, then get rid of the saturated fats that are dangerous, mainly the arachidonic acid. That comes from meat. The meat fats are really bad for your body, and then you won't uh, have as many free radicals. <clears throat> so at this point, the damaged cell has two choices. It can die. That's fine. Because if it dies, you can make another one. Or it can repair itself. And in the repair process, a cell can go awry and metamorphose into a cancer cell. So fats cause free radicals, which damage cells, which in turn 
try to repair themselves and transform themselves in a poorly done job into a cancer cell. Now, when you heat fats, as you would with French fries or fried chicken or deep fried fish, you're actually increasing the cancer-causing chemicals. And the meat itself, when you cook, all meats become heterocyclic amines. They have a chemical change that causes cancer. So that's also dangerous. So what you want is you want to change the fats to essential fatty acids. And these essential fatty acids would be like an extra virgin olive oil, coconut oil, flaxseed oil. These are the healthy oils. Almond oil, avocado oil, walnut oil, raw, unprocessed. Those are the healthy oils. Now, many studies have linked the Italian diets, the French diets, the Greek diets, the diets on the west side. Of, there's two sides to the, uh, the Mediterranean. There's the eastern side, which have unhealthy diets. Those are the Ukrainian diets. And then on the western side, where you have Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal, and France, those are the healthy diets. They're healthy because they're high in wild greens like purslane and parsley and arugula and watercress and lots of beans. Uh, The more beans that you eat, the healthier you are. And these are really anti-cancer beans in the diet. Nuts are very common. Fruits are bounty in that country because almost every meal ends with a plate of fruit, not a big you know, uh, pie a la mode. Now, we have, we like a sweet dessert. They like a fruit dessert because the history of the grandparents and the great-grandparents telling the parents, telling their kids, always in with a fruit, it helps digestion. And we know that the fruits are very good for you. And so the more fruit you eat, especially the berries, the less cancer you get. So, first we understand Anything that causes inflammation in the body, like alcohol, can cause cancer. Burnt meat, fried foods, bagels, donuts, cancer. Pizza crust, cancer. Salami, bologna, pastrami, cancer. Uh, Bacon, cancer. Uh, So look at the average person's diet. It's loaded with cancer-causing items. In fact, when you go into many of these cancer hospitals and you look at the food they're feeding a person who's had cancer... Almost all the foods cause cancer. Now, if you look at a Seventh-day Adventist uh, hospital, you find just the opposite. It's primarily a vegetarian diet and very healthy. In fact, Seventh-day Adventist women have one of the cleanest diets, healthiest diets in the United States. And, uh, but it was found that the women who ate the greatest amount of food that was fried, like fr- French fries, potato chips, also had higher rates of breast cancer. So you've got to eliminate the oily foods, the stimulants, the coffee. Those are not good. And, of course, I don't even have to tell you about uh, the alcohol. But then there's confusion. And a lot of the confusion has to do with what we're told are inherited gene mutations. It's estimated that between 5 and 10% of breast cancers are believed to be hereditary. Now, certain inherited gene mutations are believed to cause normal cells to become cancerous, specifically mutations in the tumor suppressor genes BRCA1 and BRCA2, BRCA1 
1 and BRCA2. They're known to be associated with an increased risk of breast cancer and ovarian cancers. Now, this is put out by the National Cancer Institute, and they believe that the BRCA mutations account for about 20% of all hereditary breast cancers. Now, although certain genes carry high risk for cancer and other diseases, I would say stop for a moment. Do you remember Angelina Jolie? She had a double mastectomy, even though she did not have breast cancer. She had her ovaries removed. She had a hysterectomy, not because she had ovarian cancer, simply because she tested positive for a mutation in the BRCA1 gene, and they claimed that that gave her a higher percentage for breast cancer in the future. Uh, And so she determined that was the right course of action for her. And then she implored other women to get advice. Well, of course, a lot of people are going to follow what a celebrity does because they believe the celebrity has access to better medical advice and better health care. It's not true. Uh, Remember this. Having a positive uh, BRCA test does not mean and should not mean an automatic leap to surgery because of the following. You are not looking at what a person's doing in their lifestyle that we now know through the science of epigenetics can change the outcome of even a hereditary trait in which means that if everyone in my family smoked and they all ended up getting some kind of cancer, it doesn't mean that I have a gene in my body that predisposes me to cancer because I didn't smoke, every one of my family smoked. My father developed lung cancer, stomach cancer, my brother lung cancer, my brother, mother breast cancer, but they all smoked two to three packs of cigarettes a day. Now, had they not smoked and had they not drank and had they not had a poor diet and had they exercised, they would have changed the outcome of that gene. So then the gene is no longer dominant in how it causes a disease. It is way down on the risk factor list. So anyone who feels, well, gee whiz, I was told my parents, you know, uh, have this, so I better get this taken or take this drug or this surgery. I am just giving you a suggestion that there is no such thing as a certainty when it comes to these genes. And I would say, Always change your lifestyle and your diet first, and that can change the outcome, certainly of breast cancer and colorectal cancer. And I feel it's unfortunate that people like Angelina Jolie should be a model, role model, for women's healthy choices. How often have you seen this, Elizabeth? A famous couple is getting divorced in a $450 million divorce. Why do they always have to mention the money? What in the world does the amount of money in a divorce has to do with the divorce? Yeah, exactly. And and Um, they they never say, here's what really caused these people to no longer be able to live happily every hour together. And that's what you should focus on, not how much who's going to get what. But then you hear they're giving a woman, they're they're, they're, um, either having a baby or they're adopting a baby to save their marriage. Can you name me one circumstance where a bad marriage was saved by adapting, adopting a kid? Mm, no. I no. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's Hollywood dumb. You yeah. see, there, there's regular dumb, then there's Hollywood dumb, and that's just real stupid. Yeah. As if somehow celebrities have this, 
unique insight to life and because they get to red, walk, walk the red carpets. I can't tell you how many celebrities I've counseled, but it's in the thousands. And I can promise you, if you're sitting across the desk from, from them, as I do, and you see them without the photoshopping and the makeup and the hairstylist and the clothes design and the special lighting and being on their right side of the face, you just see a person that you wouldn't recognize as being different than anyone else walking down the street. So we manufacture this celebrity status and people then crave to be in it because you're given attention. Uh, look at the Kardashians. Outside of being famous, for being famous, they have no talent whatsoever. None. If you had a conversation with them, you would actually, you would start to feel your brain shrink within about four minutes or sooner. Yeah. And yet, we, we, we think that somehow they, they are unique and gifted because they're famous and they can buy stuff and travel stuff and people defer to them and give them free things just to associate. Well, there's no different than with a doctor. Do you think there's a doctor who's going to be able to save you? A doctor who can tell you whether you're going to live or die because of their expertise? No. They have different skills, but if their skill is all from the same protocol, then it doesn't matter if they live in Beverly Hills and drive a Lamborghini or if they, you know, if they uh, live in the South Bronx and work in a local community hospital. They can only help you to the degree that they've liberated their mind to understand what the body needs is natural healing. Because at the end of the day, all disease is impacted at one level, and that is re-stimulating the body's natural healing process. Now, that does not mean that drugs cannot interfere in the disease process to give your body an opportunity to do so. But it'd be nice if the curriculums in medical schools were not dictated by pharmaceutical interests that tell you only about a pharmaceutical approach to disease. And they've been wrong. Constantly, look at arthritis, look at inflammation. COX-2 inhibitors is all they've told people about. Instead of how to naturally lubricate the cells, how to turn off inflammation in the purines by not eating, uh, by not eating the foods that cause these, a high meat diet, which causes that inflammation in the joints. So a healthy vegan diet, you don't get the gout, and you lessen the opportunity for arthritis. Anyhow, so they, Angelina Jolie would do well to learn epigenetics because if she's already had her breasts removed and her ovaries removed, then what's next? As a celebrity who's had a really unhealthy lifestyle and uh, an unhappy life, what if someone came back and found that there was a gene to determine your brain? health, would she have her brain removed to be on the safe side? Quite frankly, I don't think that anyone would notice. But then again, that's just my view of actors and celebrities pretending that they're experts in something outside of the world of make-believe. But there is something that is important, and that is the exposure to estrogen, and that plays a big role in breast cancer. Women whose menstrual periods start when they are relatively young have an increased risk of developing breast cancer, as do women who have late menopause. And this suggests that a woman who has a longer exposure to female sex hormones during her lifetime 
is a greater risk for developing breast cancer. And that estrogen, which you get from a meat-based diet, you get it from alcohol and you get it from stress and you get it from being overweight. The more fat on your body, the more estrogen you have. So you have four different inputs that can increase your risk of breast cancer. And the female sex hormone stimulates cell growth. And that can play a role in breast cancer formation. And women who have no children and women who have had children but do not breastfeed also have an increased risk. That suggests to me that the other female sex hormone, progesterone, has a protective effect. So estrogen and progesterone tend to balance each other in the body. In a healthy vegan who exercises, they're almost always well-balanced. Excessive estrogen, that's when you're overweight or when you're on one of these high-protein diets, that will reduce your progesterone, and that can lead to a condition known as estrogen dominance. So the symptoms of estrogen dominance would be water retention and breast swelling and fibrocystic breast and premenstrual mood swings and depression and loss of libido, heavier or irregular periods and uterine fibroids and cravings for sweets, and then a lot of fat uh, depositions in the hips and thighs. See, estrogen, Elizabeth, tends to be transformed into two major metabolites in the body. They can be called the good and the bad estrogen. And just as there are so-called good and bad cholesterol and good and bad fats, a bad estrogen is known as 16-alpha-hydroxyone and favors the development of breast cancer. And when you eat meat, you're getting the 16-alpha. But when you eat a plant-based diet, especially with soy, you're getting the good estrogen, which is a 2-hydroxyesterone which protects against cancer, hence the cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, kale, watercress, radishes, mustard, that all helps prevent cancers. And then you have the uh, uh, xenoestrogens, which are chemicals and, that are foreign to the body, but they act like estrogens, and they mimic estrogen in the body. And that's why you want organic, clean food, because then you're getting none of the xenoestrogens. But when you eat the average diet, you're getting lots of these xenoestrogens. And uh, so detoxifying, juicing, helps get rid of a lot of this in the body. And then make sure that you're not wearing a bra because it traps lymphatic drainage, and that is not good. And uh, the tighter the bra, the more likely you are to develop breast cancer. So you need a lymphatic system, which is the circulatory part of the immune system, and it consists of tiny vessels like capillaries. These microscopic little tiny capillaries are originating in all tissues of the body, and they drain the tissue of fluid and toxins and debris and cancer cells and bacteria and so forth. So the blood flowing through the blood vessels delivers oxygen and nutrition through capillaries under pressure, and the fluid in the blood oozes out to bathe the tissues. So this fluid is called lymph fluid, and it is the medium of exchange through which nutrients are delivered to the cells. So as your cells take in oxygen, let's say you go out for a power walk, or you're biking, or you're going for a swim, or you're jogging, that's good, and then you're having good food afterwards, what you're doing is you're giving off your waste, and some of the cell debris is flushed out through the, uh, through the urine or through the feces, but you're also cleansing the lymphatic system. The more exercise you do, the more cleansed your lymphatic system is. 
And for the breast, most of the lymph nodes are located in the armpits. And these nodes are tiny factories for white blood cell production in response to infection. And they filter out the lymph fluid, which then goes back to the bloodstream and through the heart. And this pattern of flow is how the body works normally. However, when you wear a constrictive garment, the pressure of the garment, such as an elastic uh, in, in the bra, presses on these tiny vessels, shutting them off and preventing them from draining. They have no internal pressure, and they are passive drains. Uh, unlike the heart, that is the active pump for blood in your veins and arteries, um, they're not like the arteries and the blood capillaries which are under pressure from the heart. So as soon as you take off a constricted bra, it lifts the breasts and gives them a different shape that requires a pressure, but it also allows that backup fluid around the breast to drain. And if you don't do that, you can end up with what's called lymphedema, or edema for short. So massaging, that's good. And then, then focus upon a healthy plant-based diet for cancer, uh, lots of cruciferous vegetables, including cruciferous juices, where about two ounces of a 16-ounce juice are from onions, cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Then have at least two servings a day of mushrooms, like reishi, R-E-I-S-H-I, shiitake, S-H-I-I-T-A-K-E, and maitake, M-A-I-T-A-K-E. Those are terrific. The more garlic you can get in your system, the better. Then if you're going to eat fish, only eat sardines. They're the best. And then flaxseed oil, two to three times a day. Coconut oil is also good. Black cumin seed oil is good a couple times a day. And seaweed is also excellent. And then you want intravenous vitamin C. If they've got breast cancer, I'd give them intravenous vitamin C. Um, Glutathione pushes extra vitamin B12, vitamin B6, and superoxide dismutase because superoxide dismutase helps to neutralize oxidative uh, free radicals. And then you want zinc, copper, manganese. Those are also important. So, And then Essiac, uh, E-S-S-I-A-C, that's a Native American herbal combination that has a synergistic effect in putting it into cancer in the body, cat's claw, evening primrose, boreseed oil, um, dandelion, astragalus, rosemary, uh, turmeric, uh, green tea. These are important. And then lots of enzymes, will be enzymes, uh, four or five times a day. Uh, you want enzymes. And then vitamin D is also important. And coenzyme Q10, melatonin, pycnogenol, pancreatic digestive enzymes, aloe vera, and cytokine suppressors. So that, and probiotics, that would be my approach for breast cancer. Okay? Now, we have someone on the line. Uh, let's say hello to Deborah. Hi, Deborah. your turn. Hi, Gary. Um, I have a stage four colon with a metastasis to the liver, and, uh, I uh, didn't do any chemo, no radiation. Um, I did. Uh, uh, I had a colon resection, and uh, my liver ablated. But um, just the past two months, and I'm doing a lot of. I changed my diet, lost 100 pounds, vegan, gluten free. 
Um, but the past two months, I've had severe IBS. Uh, I've tried the bentonite along with probiotics um, every four hours. And I think I've taken at the most four tablespoons of the bentonite. Um, it's just it's debilitating. It's I can it's every four hours, um, every fifteen minutes, um, just massive pain, and I don't I don't know what else to do. IBS is irritable bowel syndrome, and it's um, it is very common. In fact, it affects about fifteen percent of all adults, and about two thirds of whom are women. And it generally has bowel irregularities, constipation or diarrhea, or alternating constipation and diarrhea, a sense of bloatingness and cramping in the intestinal area, and a generalized gastrointestinal discomfort. And especially if you've had cancer. Um, So it also has psychological implications. The more stressed a person is, many people will hold the stress in their first chakra, including the colon and the vaginal areas, uh, the groin area. And then you get all forms of inflammatory conditions. So it's both physical, it's dietary, but it's also stress and infections. And so you have to kind of do a holistic approach, including uh, yoga, including acupuncture, uh, sleeping on on a magnetic mattress with geodemians, the 10,000 gauss, negative pole, and also uh, Qigong therapy to help relieve that. And historically, they just say, well, go on a high-fiber diet. Well, that's not enough. I would start by doing it differently. I would turn off the inflammation by using whole leaf aloe uh, five times a day with probiotics five times a day, somewhere between 10 to 15 billion per effort because you want to recolonize the bad bacteria. You want to kill off yeast, which is generally uh, a problem with any of the itises and in lower tract infections. And to do that, you should be having a juice. And in that juice, which should be a diluted juice, something the body can easily tolerate, like celery, cucumber, and green apple is always well tolerated. But then I would add to that basil, rosemary, nutmeg, ginger, turmeric, cumin, and coriander. And that uh, gives a completely different impact upon your bowel. And then the fibers should be lots of berry fibers. Pomegranate, blueberry, raspberry, strawberry, cherry are terrific. And the tart monomerancy cherry concentrate is very good as well. And millet is the best grain for this. And I would lessen the amount of nuts, but I would use nut butters. I would use seed butters. I would use pumpkin seed butter and sunflower seed butter instead of the seeds. And legumes, a good one would be, uh, let's say, hummus, where you're getting the benefit of of a a very good bean, uh, garbanzo bean, chickpea, but it's already pureed. And avocado pureed would be good as well. So that's the approach I would take. All the best to you. I'm Gary Nall. Our number is 888-874-4888. 888-874-4888. This is Talk Back. And uh, we have Elizabeth on the phone. She has been given your calls and, or emails. 
And we're have. By the way, I hope you all like the new uh, and improved Progressive Radio Network website. And we've added thousands of articles by categories. For example, we want to be the one place every day when you awaken that you go to for women's issues, uh, millennial issues, uh, vaccine issues, GMO issues, health and nutrition issues, anti-aging issues, uh, the, uh, the corruption in government issues, the world body politic issues from a progressive point of view. So we have all these categories, about 12 categories, that I believe are very important that we're not getting in the mainstream or alternative media. We're getting a lot of biases, both on the left and right, and uh, that, are, that are selected based upon their ideology instead of the truth. Can it help us? So we have thousands of articles there for you to read. I just posted a brand new one today, a brand new investigative report on who's behind the pro-GMO movement, and who's attacking people who stand up against GMOs. And it's no different than the tobacco lobby. It used to attack any scientist or doctor or activist who was against cigarette smoking. Well, now if you're against vaccines or if you're against GMOs, there's a whole attack against you, all these trolls. Who's behind all this? This exposes them. So we're always putting new articles up and documentaries. And I will be announcing shortly the premiere of my new film, and I will uh, announce it first over the Progressive Radio Network, so those of you who'd like to attend it in New York can. But we're all over the world. So I'm going to set up the day after our New York premiere, I'm going to have an Internet premiere, and you'll be notified so you can uh, go online and watch it. And afterwards, I'm going to have an hour uh, chat with people over the Internet um, so that you can, a webinar, so you can share your points of view. Before we go uh, further, I'd like to address uh, Jamie's question. Jamie is a cab driver, and when I was driving over the studio, I, he, I got in, I told him, he says, you're Gary Noyce. He says, I listened to you on the radio and have for a long time. And he said, but I have a question. I just don't understand how, if we're supposed to live, as you say, 115, 120, 30 years could, why is it we're only living to be about in our mid-70s, and then we have all these sicknesses? He said, look at my family. He's talking about his own family. He said, here I have two brothers, a sister, mother and father, and a grandmother. They're all sick, and they're not, uh, my, my, my sisters and brothers are not old, but they don't intentionally want to hurt themselves, but still they're sick. So what are we doing wrong? So I'm going to take a few moments now and address what I believe will help a lot of people listening. No matter what your condition, age, no matter what your previous dietary habits, let me give you what I call the laws of compensation. Now, some of you who've been to the health retreats or health support groups know this, but the average person doesn't. And here's what it means. Years ago, it was about 1998 or 99, I was in a discussion debate on PBS with uh, two other persons, including the former Surgeon General jo jo Jocelyn Elders. And the theme was, why aren't we living longer? And the Surgeon General's comments were, well, 
you know, we are going to age. We're all going to die. There's a, there's a biological clock. So we simply want to get wiser as we age. But there was no advice of how we can slow it down. The other doctor who had been with the Pritikin program said, well, we can live longer, probably around 120, if we make good choices. But there was no specifics. I remember at the time I said, it's all about the choices we make. And the choices we make at every point in our life will determine how long we live and how healthy we are in the process. I gave an example of how the signers of the Declaration of Independence live much longer. I mean, they were living into their, well, you look at John Adams um, and you look at Thomas Jefferson, late 80s and uh, even into their 90s, and were relatively vitally healthy. Yet the average citizen was not living that long. In fact, the life expectancy clear up until the 1900 was around 29 years of age in the United States. Of course, that's not an accurate figure because they're taking into account all the people who died in infancy, died in birth. Millions of people were adversely affected by contaminated water, contaminated milk that was not pasteurized. And let's say one cow and one herd had you know, uh, tuberculosis, now it's infecting the milk from a thousand cows that were not sick, all put in the same vat and stirred around. And then you drink it, you're going to get sick. And we didn't have uh, indoor toilets. In many cases, we didn't have indoor running water. Um, we had outdoor uh, uh, outhouses, and we had uh, and we had outdoor pumps, we out and pumped the water, but not everyone's water was healthy. A lot of it had high levels of mercury or heavy metals, or bacteria. And then we had the child labor. We forget that the Industrial Revolution was built upon the backs of millions of young people. People as young as four and five were working in the um, mills, uh, making fabrics and clothes, and in the mines, carrying loads of coal up and down ladders all day long frequently living with very little food, being completely malnourished, having no health care, frequently working six days a week, 12 hours a day. And then they died, and so they became a statistic. But think of the people who, like the Declaration of Independence signers, who came from uh, the gentry. They were the landowners. They didn't have to work long hours. They weren't living in slums. They had a full and varied diet. They lived off the land and in a with cleaner food. They were vitalists. They were outside a lot. They, they believed in you know, keeping themselves healthy. Hence, they lived longer lives compared to those who were unfortunate and, and their circumstances and their class. So class determined length of life in a lot of places throughout history. So now we come forward to today. You look at the average American... We're spending $3.5 trillion, trillion dollars on health care. We have more hospitals, more nurses, more doctors, more dietitians, more nutritionists, more health clinics than any other country on the planet. Now, mind you, we're only about 326 million people, more or less. Compare that to China with 1.3 billion. India, about the same. And we have more. Why is it that people in China are living longer? In Japan, a small island, they're living longer. Formosa, Okinawa, living much longer. 
the island of Crete, living extremely long lives and vitally long lives. A village in Italy where they have over, over 300 people over 100 years of age in one village. How is that possible? And these are vitalists. Now, I've been to these places in Spain, in France, in Italy, in Ireland, and in Scotland, in England. I've been into the country. I want to see why people are living longer in the country than they are in the city, and even longer they are, are in the suburbs. And a lot of it has to do with this compensation. Now here, I'll give, you the, I'll give you my idea and see if this makes sense to you. We have the highest amount of obesity, the highest amount of diabetes, the highest amount of cancer, highest amount of heart disease, the highest amount of dementia, Parkinson's, ALS, uh, Alzheimer's, and multiple sclerosis per population of any country on the planet. We have very high infant mortality. We're right up there with uh, third world countries in Africa in infant mortality. How is that possible when it can cost up to thirteen to $16,000 for a baby to be born without complications in an American hospital? with all that attention to medical detail, and yet they're dying. How is it that we have the highest rate of childhood diabetes in the world? We're not talking about, we're not talking about adult diabetes, type 2. We're talking about children with adult diabetes. We have more obesity in children. We have more arthritis in children. We have more heart disease in children. No other nation has epidemics of brain chemical imbalance, supposed, um, that give them the diagnosis of ADD and ADHD and are given Ritalin. So we're an over-medicated society. These medications are not correcting or curing anything. We're an over-treated society. We're, we're an over-medically diagnosed society. And yet, from the Surgeon General to the U.S. Public Health Service to the different agencies like the National Cancer Institute or the FDA, the CDC, from the White House, we have no national program and also in school to tell us what causes you to get sick, what causes us to age, how can we prevent these diseases? Do we really need a flu shot? Can't we build up our natural immunity to these viruses? And if you don't have an education program that enlightens people, then they're going to be enlightened or educated through the propaganda of advertising and false information given in the media. Then ask the media, you're worth billions of dollars, but look at your ads. Your ads are almost always for unhealthy products. These hot dogs, these hamburgers, the pizzas. Look at what you're getting in a pizza. You're getting salami, you're getting which is toxic and a carcinogen. You're getting cheese, which is an allergen and can also be a carcinogen. You're getting a refined carbohydrate in the crust, which is necrylamide, which is known carcinogen and very inflammatory. So you're getting nothing of health and everything that creates inflammation. Now let's look at a soft drink. Every movie theater you go into, uh, all the major ones, you're seeing advertisements for colas. Well, what's in a cola? Artificial coloring like a caramel cola and a suspected carcinogen. You're getting a form of phosphoric acid, which is very toxic to the system and to the stomach and to the mucous membranes of the stomach. 
you're getting caffeine. Caffeine can be extremely damaging to the arteries, to the epithelium, and it's not good for the brain. And yet we're giving kids so much caffeine that they can't have any energy and function without it. And it also can be extremely uh, difficult to come off of caffeine addiction. So now just think of a common meal today, pizza with a cola. Every single thing in that meal, if you get french fries, toxins, trans fats, lots of sodium, and acrylamides. And if you get a dessert, refined sugar, high fructose corn syrup is also in the carbonated colas, and that can cause non-alcoholic fatty disease. It can cause cancer. So you're taking in anywhere from, let's say, three to five different foods, all of which are pro-inflammatory. Now, the inflammation that they cause causes free radicals to damage the cells. And the more they hit those cells, the more damage is occurring. The older you get, the less you can repair that damage. Now you've got a defective cell. And in some cases, as I've mentioned, that defective cell can become cancer. So then one day, you're asked, how old are you? And you say, I'm, I'm 25. And you say, no, you're not. You're two ages. You're a chronological age, 25, but you're a biological age, which is more honest. And because of all that caffeine and all that cola and all those refined carbohydrates and all of the meat and the amount of protein from animal sources and the pesticides and the genetically modified corn and soy that's in your body from those foods that you've eaten and all that sugar and all that bad fat, you're actually 50 biologically. Well, what does that mean? It means that person is already beginning the process of advanced aging, even though they're 25. And then an article in today's paper showed that 30% of almost all New Yorkers are binge drinkers. So a lot of people are binge drinking. One single alcoholic beverage that is more than beer but, or wine will kill about a million liver cells, a million brain cells, a million heart cells, a million kidney cells per drink. But let's say that you binge drink. You have two or three at an outing in an evening. And you do that, you know, on a Friday night, Saturday. Well, now you've killed hundreds of uh, millions of cells in a normal year. And many of these cells will not be replaced in your whole lifetime. So you keep drawing down. It's like, it's like having a million dollars in the bank, but you put nothing into the bank, and every day you're drawing out $10,000. It's inevitable you're going to go bankrupt. You put nothing in, you take everything out. So what we're doing with our diet is we're doing everything wrong. Everything that causes inflammation, everything that causes disease, that's what we're consuming. Then we're not exercising. We're sitting too long. You should never sit for more than two hours without getting up and, and stretching and doing some you know, uh, a push-up, sit-up, something that allows your body to actually, the muscles to con contract and relax, contract and relax to stimulate lymph flow, blood, and muscle movement. But we don't do that. We have an entire generation of older people and younger people that can sit for hours in front of a computer, on a couch, in beds. That 
causes muscle atrophy, that causes reduction in human growth hormone, that causes an imbalance in our hormones, and that leads to premature aging of our musculature and our bones, leading to osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, both the inflammation outside the bone and the demineralization inside. Then we're stressed. Now, generally, there's two ways we deal with stress. We either become depressed or we become anxious. If we're anxious, we walk around with hormones going all the time, stress hormones, cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, adrenaline. And when your adrenaline goes up because you're anxious, I can't pay a bill. I've got a credit card here. I can't pay it. If I don't pay it, they're going to up the interest I'm going to pay. So now my interest and compounded interest for being late on my credit card is more than what I originally bought. Anxiety. Well, I graduated from college. I got a four-year degree, but now there's no work in the area that I went to college in, so I'm having to live at home. And now that stresses out my parents, and it really stresses them because they co-sign on the loan. So I have no capacity to pay the loan back, so they got to work and pay the loan back. And unfortunately, they didn't have much savings. And by the way, 69% of all Americans have under $1,000 in their bank account. That's 60, 69%. And of that, over 35% don't have any money in their savings account. So it means that only a small percentage of Americans have any ability to handle an emergency if they're out of work and have no cash flow. So now imagine a family where the parents are working extra hard because they hadn't saved. Everybody was spending. Everybody had to have everything when they wanted it. And when things were okay, financially they did. Now it's not. So now you're sitting around. You're not going out just to do any work because you may be one other percentage of that millennial generation that feels entitled not to have to work unless it's something you feel good about because how you feel is all that matters and everyone is catered to how you feel. Your school teacher didn't stress that you should learn anything except how to take a test so you were perceived to be smarter than what you actually are about the world. You're a functional illiterate. You don't know about history. You don't know about culture. You don't know about religion. You don't know about ethics. You don't know about morality. All you know is what you have chosen to allow yourself to process. And more often than not, those are things that interest you. But what about the world that doesn't interest you but you need to react to? Well, I'm not going to get involved in that. I don't want to feel bad. And so you sequester yourself and you have your friends, these so-called friends over the Internet who are not friends at all, and you spend your time communicating that way or watching porn or something else of dubious value. Now, that creates an anxiety that exhausts your cells. It exhausts your adrenaline. You keep yourself motivated by caffeine, and so now you're not healthy, you're not happy, and you're aging prematurely. That's just one way. The other way is that you're just so angry at the world because it's not what you'd hoped, it's not what you can control. Circumstances are outside of your control, so you simply implode. First it's anger, then it's rage, then it's apathy, then it's, it's simply depression. You give up. You just withdraw into a world that you're isolated in. You overeat. So when I travel around the world, what I find that's so different is, first, they're no different in many ways than we are, but they stress the importance of happiness, not simply success in a career or higher education or status of what you own and can buy or your capacity to consume. 
They spend quality time with family. Lots of time is spent around a dinner table, talking about life issues, resolving issues, and finding joy in each other's company. They actually keep it very active. They have a purpose to life, they have an understanding of life, and they feel comfortable in their own life. We, on the other hand, many Americans are just uncertain what their life should be and where we should be and what we should be doing with it. More often than not, they do not eat what they do not need, and they have been taught by generation after generation, eat which comes from the land, eat clean food, healthy food, and hence the Mediterranean diet, the Japanese diet, the ok Okinawa diet, the, uh, the uh, Crete diet. These are all plant-based, principally plant-based diets, in some cases fish locally, and but lots of vegetables, lots of fruits, lots of nuts and seeds and healthy oils, and then they walk, they bike, they work. Their muscles are not atrophying. They're happy. So the foundation of their life is happiness. That is the compensating factor. So when you put happiness as the basis of your life, a moral balance to your life where you'll make only ethical decisions, where you don't allow yourself the opportunity to be misled and maladapt into negative behavior with negative people and become a sponge for other people's dramas and sorrows and tales of woe, but rather you are doing good things for the right reason and harmonizing with other people who appreciate what you are and help support that as you do with them, then you wake up each day and you feel good about the day because you know what that day has in store for you. Good people working together with just cause and you're not going to self-destroy. So you're not going to sit around and bury your face in a, a bowl of ice cream and eat a bag of potato chips. You're going to do something constructive. That's the compensating factor where you care enough about yourself, the world around you, plants, animals, humans, cultures, religions. You show honor towards people, honoring yourself. Now that's a person that's going to live a longer life and won't need that $3.5 billion profit-driven, primarily dysfunctional, and frequently dangerous medical industrial complex. I hope that that addresses a lot of people's needs. Thank you all for listening.